Good morning, everybody. Try it again. Good morning, everybody. We're glad you're here. It's good to see you in church. If you're a visitor this morning and this is your first time at the Mill Church or even your second or third time and you have yet to fill out a welcome card, we would ask that you please do that. That helps us know who's here and helps us to get to know you a little better. So you can do that at the mill.church slash welcome, the mill.church slash welcome on your smartphone at any point during the service, or you can submit a hard copy form at the back at the high top table at the end when you leave. So thanks again. I have the privilege of introducing Derek Josiak to you. Derek is going to share his testimony of God's faithfulness this morning. Every year in 2022, we're going to have a different member of our church family, a tender of our church family, share a story of God's faithfulness. And today is Derek's day. So will you give Derek a warm welcome as he comes this morning to share? Let me get this for you. So I asked Chris today if he could auto-tune my voice and uh, Jason Momoa, but unfortunately he uh, said he's not that good at audio yet, so uh, bear with me. Um, uh, my name is Derek Josiak. Um, I'm originally from Stratford, Wisconsin. Um, I grew up going to a church here in Stratford off and on as a kid um, with my family. Um, and then I went off to college and kind of stopped going to church. Um, it wasn't one of my priorities. Um, you know, I, I believed in God. I believed um, he was my savior, but just really wasn't living it out. Um, and so soon after college, um, I moved up to Rice Lake, Wisconsin. Um, once again, just going up there, not going to church, not really living out, um, you know, God's word. And I, uh, I, I, I'm a person who likes to please people. Um, I'm more worried about other people, um, more worried about what they think of me. Um, you know, I, I kind of go out of my way to help others. But one thing that I always struggled with was kind of um, how I felt as a person and where I was going. Um, so I started putting focus on areas that, didn't, that shouldn't have mattered. Um, you know, I had career goals. I put that first. Um, I put other people first at work, and it started to kind of take a toll on me. Um, so in 2019, um, after seven years of running a nursing home, which is a 24-7 business, caring for others and having families around, I, I decided that it was time to leave. Um, it was time to take that next step you know, away. Um, and I thought maybe that will help all my problems. Um, I was like, all right, I'll get this off my shoulders and I'll be a happier person. And um, that scared me because the first thing that I started thinking about was, you know, am I disappointing people? Um, am I failing others? And, you know, I struggled with it quite a bit. Um, it started to kind of put me into a state of depression, um, struggled with mental health. And then uh, I ended up finding a church up in Rice Lake kind of right before we, we moved back to Stratford. And um, I was just kind of looking for a sign that it was going to be okay, you know. And I remember sitting in church, and all of a sudden the pastor, all of a sudden he, uh, she says, you know, there's someone in this room today who um, has a change coming. Um, 
and they're nervous about it. <laughs> they're kind of scared, and I just want to let you know that he says it's okay. He said, go. Um, don't worry about what's here. He said, she said, go. You know, and that, that gave me the power to leave, um, which is very hard, um, thinking that all my problems are going to be changed. And I got back to Stratford, and I was like, all right, this is it. It's a new beginning. Um, but that wasn't the case because I, I truly wasn't given everything I got to, to Jesus. I haven't accepted him completely as my Savior. And I remember sitting... Um, at church and struggling, and, you know, I, I'm a 30-year-old, and, yes, I still talk to my mom about my problems. <laughs> um, but finally my mom says, you know, just go talk to your pastor. I'm like, Mom, I don't really know him. Um, I don't know Zach. Like, I talked to him one time. Um, she's like, just do it. And so I text him, and uh, I said, you know, Zach, I know you don't really know me, but uh, I'm struggling. I'm struggling right now. I'm um, trying to find who I am as a person. He's like, all right, let's meet. So at 7 in the morning, I think it was a Wednesday morning, um, Zach and I met at the old building, and he's just like, Derek, and he just, we just talked, you know, just person to person, and just uh, he, he let me vent out um, just with my struggles, and, and he was there for me. And, and uh, the first thing I started doing was get involved more with the church, and um, Ultimately, I sat down, and I became the camera guy, as many of us know who <laughs> know me as the camera guy. And uh, I was one, um, usually once a month, Zach always has a prayer for us, and he says, you know, everyone bow their heads, and if, you know, you accept Jesus as your Savior, please look up and lock eyes with me. Um, that was probably the best decision I ever made. <laughs> Um, I remember at the old building, I looked up right through my camera tripod because I was still a little nervous to, you know, lock eyes with Zach. And he found me through the camera tripod, and he, and he said those, his famous words, awesome. And, and I knew, he, I knew he, he got where I was coming from. You know, um, it was a long road. Um, but, you know, Zach has helped, and this, this church family has helped in really, you know, living out you know, having Jesus as my Savior and giving everything to him has helped because I, I just realized that I was putting things that were not as important, more important than things that should be. You know, buying new things and trying to always look for the next greatest thing when really I had it all right there. I just had to realize it and move forward. Um, all right. <laughs> um, you know, so... You know, that's my story. Um, a lot of it was just I was too afraid to take that step and just speak up and, and uh, talk to my pastor and, and get involved in the church. And like I said, really, it's been the greatest decision I've ever made. Um, so with that being said, my name is Derek Josiak. This is the year of 52 stories, and Jesus is a hero of mine. Very cool. So if you have a story of God's faithfulness that you would be willing to share, all you have to do 
is go to the mill.church slash announcements. You click on the year of 52 stories. You click on the link and fill out a form, and I'll get in contact with you. I don't think I've had a single person do that yet that I didn't chase after uh, to begin with. But I would just be delighted if my inbox tomorrow morning was full of people willing to share their story of God's faithfulness. That would really... uh, that would really be a blessing. So would you consider it sharing your story of God's faithfulness? Thank you, Derek, for having the courage to do that this morning. That was awesome. That was awesome. Good deal. Well, we are uh, four weeks into this series in the book of Colossians. We started last week looking at a section on Thanksgiving and prayer. If you're new with us, uh, typically... At the Mill Church, we just move through books of the Bible, so we just take a few verses at a time and we talk about what it means, and that's really our format here on Sunday morning. Sometimes I make it a little fiery because I'm passionate, but really we just want you all to know what the Bible says because that informs the way that we live. It changes us from the inside out. And so today is going to be no different. I'd like to read this to you again. We read it last week from Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. I'm going to take another chunk of this today, but I want you to hear it in its full context, and it'll be fresh on our minds as we dig in. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in his light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In our introduction to Paul's letter... We talked about how the Apostle Paul would be giving the church at Colossae a user's manual, so to speak, about the Christian life for real Christianity. The first point that I would like to draw out of the text this morning is 
how important it is to give thanks to God for others. How important it is to give thanks to God for others. Paul says in verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. When we pray for you. So Paul's saying, I give God glory when my heart has in it gratitude for you, for people. So I'm giving God praise, honor vertically for those that he's placed in my life horizontally. And this is important because often I think people do one or the other. Some people are constantly distributing thank yous um, without acknowledging that it's God who gives us each other. Did you know that's true? God is the author of every good and perfect gift. God is the one that gives us to each other that we might enjoy one another, that we might fellowship with each other, that we might support one another, that we might encourage one another. Every good gift is from above. So if we are blessed by other people, we ought to be thanking God for their presence in our lives. In verse 3, Paul says, We always thank God when we pray for you. In verse 12, Paul is giving thanks to God for qualifying other people, for calling them into his service. It's important that we thank people too. I hope you would agree. Um, We have gratitude in our hearts toward others that we say, thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for making coffee. Thank you for greeting folks. Thank you for being the cameraman. Thank you for being the sound man. Thank you for being the visual Uh, extraordinaire. Uh, We appreciate all of you that serve around the Mill Church, that love the Lord um, with your time, with your treasure, with your talent. So we do certainly thank others. That's meaningful, absolutely. Um, But I hope you would agree that saying thank you is a little different. It's a subtle difference, but I think it carries a lot of weight saying thank you than saying I thank God for you. Thank you. I thank God for you. I think the latter adds more value to the other. I think the latter, thank God for you, adds more dignity to another, to the one that we're grateful for, because we're not just acknowledging if we say, I thank God for you, some task that they did, like we are when we simply say thank you to someone. We're acknowledging that they're a gift from God. When we say, I thank God for you, brother, I thank God for you, sister, and in the process, we're too ascribing the glory where the glory belongs, which is to God for giving us one another. You should try it. I guess that's my point. Instead of thanking God, or rather instead of thanking somebody else for something they did, thank God for them. And tell them you thank God for them. That's what the Apostle Paul just did. And here's why this makes sense, if you think about it practically. God works through people. 
Does he not? People are a conduit. People are a vessel. People are the clay. God is the potter. People are the clay holding the very treasure, the very gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that God has given. So when someone encourages us, when someone blesses us, where is the gift initially coming from? Well, of course, it's, it's coming from the individual, but initially it comes from God in heaven. So oftentimes, people are the channel of God's grace to us. Some of you uh, perhaps only think people and have never acknowledged that God's provision is ultimately behind those people. That God's saving grace in that individual's life is what has allowed them to become such a blessing to you. To be the conduit from which, through which his grace, uh, I should have said, flows. Men uh, in the room, can we thank God for our wives? If you're wise, you will thank God for your wife. Of course we can. Um, I don't do this enough. For Shannon's resilience, for Shannon's perseverance, uh, for Shannon's devotion to her family, that nine times out of ten when a kid wakes up in the middle of the night and there's fluids coming out of every hole on the kid's body, that she's the one who feels because of her innate sense of mothering that God has given her the, the willpower to get up out of the bed first and love on them and take care of them. We can thank God for our wives that they're willing to forego sleep. And, and Shannon, she pours herself into the well-being of other people. I can't tell you how thoughtful my wife is. She just loves others. She just loves encouraging them. We can thank God for our parents. Can we not? I understand that's a sensitive subject for many. Not everyone has a fulfilling and wonderful parent relationship, but in a general sense, certainly we can. Can we thank God for our siblings? You say, maybe, maybe not. Well, we can. We can thank God for our friendships. We thank the Lord for our employer. We thank the Lord for our co-workers. This is just a good way to pray. Paul does it two or three times in this selected passage we've read. Others get the gratitude, but God gets the glory. So who can you thank today? Who can you be grateful for today? Who even today can you text or email or talk to and just say, hey, thank you? But even more than that, who can you say, I thank God for you today. I want you to know that I prayed for you and just thank the Lord for your presence in my life, for your willingness to listen. You were there for me. You were the means through which God brought his blessing into my life. Thank you. And now let's make an even simpler observation. Are you ready for this one? This is even more simple. Here we go. We are to pray for one another. We can't tell each other 
that we thank God for each other if we don't first pray for each other. Right? So that's even more fundamental. We are to be praying for one another. Uh, Check this out. Paul is in prison. He's in prison. The Colossians that he's writing this letter to, they're in a church. Paul can't physically be with them, but in prayer, he can connect with them. And he does. Why? Because God can close a lot of distance in prayer. He can bring people close together, though they be far away, in prayer. Does God need our prayers? No, he does not. We're not telling God anything he does not know. God's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. Prayer doesn't make God do something that God otherwise doesn't want to do. Prayer fundamentally changes us. Those of us who are praying together every day during the month of January, one thing we learned this week was this. Prayer isn't about changing God's mind. Prayer is about finding God's mind. God, what is your will? I need to spend time with you. I need to talk with you. I need to pray to you to discern what it is that you really desire. Prayer is about aligning ourselves with what God wants. We don't change God. God changes us. It's in our conversing with God that he begins to mold our hearts, shape our hearts. And so what what is Paul doing here from prison? He's praying for The Colossians. It's a way of loving them. It's a way of serving them. It's a way of connecting with them. Last week, Shan and I announced that we're beginning a five-month transition process out of uh, the Mill Church, that we won't be in person always. But I delight in the truth that I can always be with you guys in prayer. It doesn't matter if I'm in El Salvador. It doesn't matter if I'm in North Carolina. It doesn't matter if I'm in the uttermost parts of the earth. I can be with the people of the Mill Church and support them in prayer. This thought crossed my mind so many times over the, over the last few years. In fact, I commented this last week in our 30-day prayer challenge. Quote, I am convinced that when we get to heaven, we will meet those who really moved mountains on earth. The shut-in. The arthritic. The diseased. The lame, the single, the lonely, those saints who didn't get around to every church function like the rest of us, but put on themselves the mantle, the responsibility, and the privilege of prayer. Are you mad at somebody? Pray for them. 
Are you jealous of somebody? Pray for them. When we, quote, weep with those who weep or or, uh, rejoice with those who rejoice like the Bible instructs us to do, we develop God's heart for them. Which isn't natural to us. Do you think the Apostle Paul in prison writing to the Colossians who are free people, they're not in chains, do you think it's possible that he might allow himself and his sinful nature to become jealous? I would think absolutely. I mean, he's single. Many of them aren't. He's childless. Many of them have children. He's homeless. Many of them have homes. They're enjoying their lives. He's persecuted and punished. Paul could have been bitter while writing this. He could have been grumbling. He could have had an entitled mindset. Well, I'm an apostle. I write books of the Bible. I save people. All I get is these chains. Instead, Paul just gave us a treatise. Genuinely celebrating all the wonderful things that have been happening at the Colossian church. How is that possible? I would submit it's possible because that's what prayer does. Prayer gives you love for people that you don't otherwise have. Prayer may or may not change our circumstances, but it will certainly change our hearts in the middle of our circumstances. Another hallmark of being a real Christian, according to Paul, is that of encouragement. Let it be known that Christians are people of encouragement, not discouragement. In verse 5, Paul mentions the word of truth, the gospel, which means good news. What Paul is, is talking about is the greatest story that has ever been told in all of human history, the story of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, that he's the beginning, he's the end, he's the alpha, he's the omega, that Jesus is above all. And Paul calls the sum of the Bible's teaching about Jesus the word of truth. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, guys, I promise you, the Bible is trustworthy. It's dependable. There is objective truth. There is objective falsehood. The gospel is truth. And whatever deviates from the gospel is false. Paul's saying that that there is, for all history, truth to be found. And his name is Jesus. 
You know as well as I do, the values of culture change. They change over the years. They change over the decades. They change over the centuries. But the Bible is infallible. It's inerrant. Anything that deviates from it is false. So there is that which is patently true, and there is that that is patently false. There is that which will be true yesterday, today, and forever, and there is that which will be false yesterday and today and forever. And Paul is saying to glory to God that the Bible isn't just true yesterday, today, and forever, but in calling it the gospel, Paul's saying too that it's good yesterday, today, and forever. It's not just that the that it's true. The word gospel means not just news, but good news. It's good news yesterday, today, and forever. It's not only good for Derek, it's it's good for anybody. It's good for all of us. Those who have told their stories, those who haven't. If you're willing to accept it. The dentist, the dentist can tell you that you have a cavity and that can be true, but that may not be good. The IRS can tell you your taxes are due in April. That can be true, but that may not be good. The gospel is both true and the gospel is good. The Bible teaches we're sinners by nature and by choice. We deserve to die. Is that good news? Well, not particularly. But the Bible also teaches that God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us, to serve us, and that he rose from death, and that today he's ruling and reigning. And Paul says, hey, by the way, the gospel, the good news, it's still bearing fruit. I see it bearing fruit in your midst. Thanks be to God that it is in Stratford, Wisconsin. Today, in lives like Derek's, in your life, I hope. That's why we have, by his grace, 52 stories to tell this year. Because people are still being changed, see, by the good news. Paul said the good news is even increasing among you since the day you heard it. It's contagious. It's not a popular word in 2020, 21, 22. Contagious. But the gospel is contagious. It spreads. In church family, the gospel is meant to be told. It's meant to be told. Look at verse 6. Since the day you heard it, the gospel was meant to be told. To be heard. And to be heard, it's got to be told. Is it shown to? Well, of course the gospel is shown. But the gospel wasn't designed in such a way that it would be understood by only our showing it. By only our good deeds. 
People cannot and will not connect the dots through good deeds alone. Are there good deeds that Christians should do? Absolutely so. But there is also good news that Christians ought to proclaim. God has chosen to bring salvation through the preaching, through the telling of his word. It must be taught, in other words. It must be explained. We're to love people, yes. We're to serve people, yes. We're to feed people, yes. We're to house people, yes. We're to care for people, yes. Ultimately, though, it's the hearing of the good news that saves people. It's hearing about the person of Jesus that transforms people, that alters their destiny. So we don't lose hope in the gospel. We don't change the gospel. We don't edit the Bible. We're not ashamed of the Bible. It doesn't matter what the culture invents. The gospel has always marched forward triumphantly. They've tried to confiscate it. They've tried to burn it. They've tried to burn the people at the stake that read it. It owned it. It always perseveres. So we encourage each other in it. You know, in every relationship, we make deposits and we make withdrawals. You deposit into your relationships through encouragement. You make withdrawals in your relationships through critique. And correction. Some people have learned this the hard way. If you make more withdrawals than you make deposits, if you have more critique and correction in any given relationship than you do encouragement, it can go awry. This is really hard for people like me who are perfectionists. People who are a lot more prone, who have a proclivity to see the negative in something before we see the positive in something. Who rather than admiring beauty in the 95% or the 98% see the ugliness in the 5% or the 2%. We have to be very careful that we're people of encouragement. Look what Paul does. He begins with all these deposits in this book that we're reading. He's writing this letter. We're still in chapter 1. We're only three verses in where we started reading today. He says to these people effectively, Hey, I'm encouraged that things are going well. The gospel's bearing much fruit. Gosh, a church got planted. The church is growing. I hear good reports. I love you all. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. And then later on, the Apostle Paul, he'll make a withdrawal or two. We'll see. 
but he builds momentum through the encouragement. I am so overjoyed at what God is doing at the Mill Church. It's remarkable. You're such a special, I tell my ministry friends this all the time, you're such a special group of people. Do you know how many churches experienced fallout from the politics that marked 2020, 2021, and 2022? We had none of that. It's amazing. You're you're just easy to love, to lead, to enjoy. I was just this morning, before coming to church, thanking God for you. I asked six to seven individuals to serve on a pastoral transition committee as part of our transition plan. Do you know what I was thinking when I sent that email this last week, which went out, I believe, on Monday or Tuesday? I was thinking this, who's going to still be mad at me for moving back to North Carolina in June? And who's going to say, thanks, but no thanks, buddy? You're on your own. You're a panther, I'm a packer. Go eat your grits. Your fried okra. I'm a bratwurst man. Go smoke your pork shoulder. You know what I got in reply? I'll be there. You tell me when to show up. It would be my honor to serve in such a capacity. It was as if they all knew the privilege and the magnitude of what our board was asking them to do. So we're meeting tonight for the first time We're wasting no time on this. And we're going to have the time of our lives. Why? Because the church belongs to God. And it will continue to thrive because the gospel continues to thrive. And of course I'm going to miss you all, but I can't wait to read the chapters that God's going to write through the Mill Church. So allow me to be your Paul and encourage you this morning and say that the Mill is going to be well. And it's going to continue to grow. And it's going to continue to increase in fruitfulness as long as the Mill is preaching the gospel. Last one. Real Christians honor one another. What Paul speaks of next is the leader of the church. Is there a tissue up here somewhere, guys? There's not. Would somebody be kind enough to bring me a tissue? I can't believe I'm saying this on the World Wide Web, but I'm really struggling here. Thank you, Derek. Oh, thank you, Greg. Bless you, brother. Is that cotton? Oh, okay. 
Awesome. It wasn't cotton. It's disposable. Real Christians honor one another. What Paul speaks of next is the leader of the church. Paul has never been to this city. He's never visited this church. He doesn't personally know these people. He isn't their pastor. Epaphras is their pastor. And Paul says in verses 7 and 8, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, I know your pastor. He's a really swell guy. I love him. He works hard. He's a faithful servant. He cares about you. And he's trying to do everything that Jesus wants him to do. True or false, we live in a world today that's not very honoring of leadership. True. Do you have television? Are you on any social media channels at all? When you pull up stories online, do you leave with this impression? Man, there's just so much honoring going on. People are honoring their politicians. Children are honoring their parents. Wives and husbands are honoring each other. Is that the case? Of course not. We are right now living in a culture of dishonor. Not a culture of honor. And I would submit that it's not going very well. The kingdom of God, however, is a culture of honor. That means we honor the Lord Jesus. We honor our father and mother. We honor our spouse. We honor those in leadership. We pray for them. We encourage them. And here's why, in part, this is important. When you honor someone, you influence them and they will listen to you. So even if there is a disagreement, you'll be heard and respected. Because you're not seen as their critic, you're seen as somebody who cares for them. We don't criticize other pastors. We don't attack other churches. If I see a faith story that says this and this happened at this particular church, I say you got to take the name out. You can't do that on this platform. We want to honor and love and serve and bless. And then if there is an opportunity that we need to say something that's tough, it'll be received in love. And in relationship, we'll have made enough deposits that we can make a small withdrawal. This is crucial, especially in the social media age. Why? Because the whole world is watching our discussions. All right. I'm going to stop there without a conclusion. This is kind of the beauty of preaching verse by verse. It's just when you run out of time, you run out of time. (laughs) 
You just stop, and then you pick up next week where you left off because you're just walking through the Bible. You don't have to come up with a highfalutin conclusion. So I'm going to pray for you this morning. Father, I just pray that you would help us to encourage and love and bless and pray for and thank each other. Lord, I pray that you would instill at the Mill Church what I feel like in many ways is already here, just a culture of honor and dignity and value and worth. Why, Lord? Because you set the example. You ascribed worth to us when you left a perfect place in heaven and said, those people down there, their worth my coming, they're worth my dying. I love them. And you were born in a stable. And you grew into a man and you died brutally. And then a part of three days later, you rose victoriously. For Derek, for myself, for Greg, for Kim, for Nate, for Steve, for Robin. Lord, oh, how you love us. We thank you. And we thank you for the gift of each other. In Jesus' name, amen.